from Quoted Studios, this is Blank on Blank, distributed by the Public Radio Exchange, PRX.org. I'm David Gerlach. So there wasn't much of a gray area with Lou Reed. To him, you were either cool or you weren't. You either loved him or you didn't care for his BS. He was a genius, a curmudgeon, a purist, a bitter musician, a has-been, a masterful artist who got screwed. Well, we came across a 1987 interview uh, with Lou at the Library of Congress, and it's everything you'd want to hear from the man who helped bring the world uh, the Velvet Underground. Oh, and he was living in New Jersey at the time of the interview, and he had a shotgun. You know, like sometimes you got to be in a place, you're just another guy, you can like just blend in. I live out in the wilds of nowhere, out in Jersey. And even there, there's sometimes like promised college students like journey out there and show up at 11 o'clock at night on my porch, looking into the door, not saying anything. My wife and I are sitting there. It was like really creepy. Are you I got out with my shotgun. Yeah. Yeah, this is hunting country out there. You better run. This interview was recorded by Joe Smith, the longtime music executive. You've heard Joe's other interviews with Jerry Garcia, David Bowie, and Barry White in some of our previous episodes. Here's Joe. Do you ever regret that you were never totally in the mainstream, that you were out there left wing most of the time? No, I mean, I started out with that in mind. People didn't know certain things about me, which, you know, I was was out of creative writing class in school, you know, Syracuse University. Had a BA in English. I wanted to write the great American novel, but I also loved rock and roll. You know, I was in bar bands all through college, playing fraternities, you know, and have to, you know, all the songs in the top ten, that kind of thing. What are your recollections of that Velvet Underground time? You guys were on a avant-garde, cutting-edge, new stuff. When this record came out, all of a sudden there's this kind of recognition. Was there? Well, there wasn't any recognition. I mean, what there was was a lot of bad press. I got a little puzzled at how savage the reaction against us was when we got it, especially when we performed live and left New York. Like, you know, how savage and decadent and da-da-da-da, and look at what these songs are about. Venus and Furs is about all of this. They didn't even know Venus and Furs was a book. I didn't write it. You know, I just said, it'd be interesting to take this book and put it in a song. I just wanted to cram everything into a record that these people had ignored, and, and which, was, which left you everything. And the other thing that killed me was like, you know, stuff like this had been in novels so long, it was like nothing. I write a song called Heroin, you would have thought that I murdered the Pope or something. It should have been. Now we can get a lot of people who have talent for writing and everything into rock and roll. We'll all write about like really adult stuff. That was like what I wanted to do, was like write rock and roll that you could listen to as you got older. It wouldn't lose anything. It would be timeless, you know, and the subject matter and the literacy of the lyrics. We didn't expect to sell records. That's not what we were doing. Would have been great, would have been great, would have taken a lot of financial pressure off us. It's not like we had money. You know, what we had was ambition and a goal, and that's the thing you can do when you're really young. And what was the ambition and the goal? Oh, to elevate the rock and roll song and take it where it hadn't been taken before. And I'm saying, like from my point of view, and I know this sounds pretentious, but as I just thought the other stuff couldn't even come up to our ankles. It's not up to my kneecap, not up to my ankles, the level that we were on compared to everybody else. I mean, they were just painfully stupid and, and pretentious. And then when they did try to get, in quotes, arty, it was, it was worse than stupid rock and roll. 
What I mean by stupid, I mean like the Doors. And you never felt that uh, Lennon uh, and the Beatles feel that they were in a league at all? Or? No. No, I never liked the Beatles. I thought they were garbage. If you said, like, who did you like? I like nobody. I mean, in the old days, I mean, no, the Velvet Underground, I mean, we had engineers who would walk out on us. They would say, hey, it's too loud. This is terrible. You know, I'm going to turn the tape machine on. You guys call me when you're finished. I mean, I've spent a lot of years since then trying to figure out a way to be able to do what I did then without going deaf. I actually went and had my ears tested just to make sure. And the guy who was testing me was a fan, which was nice, so he took the test a little further just to assuage any doubts I might have. And he said, no, you have, you have the average high-end loss for a New Yorker. Down the street. Right, for a New Yorker. So it's like very funny. Just a perfect day Drink sangria in the park as always, you can watch the animated version of this episode on our website. It's our series with PBS Digital Studios. Watch it at blankonblank.org. We've also posted the full unedited interview with Lou Reed. It's really a great listen. You can get this sense of the roller coaster that was uh, Lou's career. Amy Drozdowska produced this episode with me. You can always follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and now Instagram. Cool stuff all around. All right, that's it for now. Here's one more bit from Lou Reed. I had a lot of problems in the studio because of my background with engineers, see. A lot of my records sound like they were recorded completely dry and no one did anything, and that, in fact, is what it was, because they would go to touch and button them all night. I said, what are you doing, man? I have faith in my own vision and didn't want them to tamper with it, and I thought, my thing coming out badly recorded this way is better than if these people, like, take my voice and try to make me sound like a 14-year-old. They thin it out. I would tell them, you know, it's like you tell a photographer, don't retouch this too much. Yeah, these lines, they mean something. I'm an adult. Man, don't thin my voice out and make it like that high shit. This is the way I sound. You gotta get people to understand that because they take the nuance and character out that makes the lyric believable. It's an important thing. Mm-hmm.